The title of this morning's message is Understanding Our Heart and How It Works, Part 2. I want to continue to talk to you this morning about how our hearts function. Because if we understand how our hearts function, then we can better understand how to facilitate changes in our hearts and lives. This is a continuation of the message I ministered two weeks ago by the same name. So it's going to contain some review. <laughs> You've already heard some of this, but it's good for us to hear it again. When we talk about what our heart is, we have to distinguish the difference between our spirit and our soul. The heart of us, the center of us, is our spirit man. It's one spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I am one spirit with Jesus Christ. It's who we really are. It's our new who. It's our born-again person who is one spirit with life and love himself. It's the place of our true identity. It's the place Jesus came into when we invited him to come into our heart. It's the unchangeable part of us. It's the perfect and complete part of us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We are complete. We're already finished. This is a different kind of thought. I'm already finished. He's already made me. He's not in the process of making me. He's already finished me. The word complete includes the idea of lacking nothing that is needed. You lack nothing that you have needed. We, in our spirit, are fully furnished with everything we need, and we are completely finished and completely completed. We can't get any more perfect in our spirit. We can't get any more holy. We can't get any more righteous. We're not changing who we are. Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that for us. Our spirit man is one spirit with Jesus, so we lack nothing in our spirit. We are one spirit with perfection. Now, I have been a perfectionist all my life, and I used to pray for hours, God, please make me perfect. Please make me perfect. I want so much to be perfect. <laughs> be ye perfect as your Father is perfect. You see, I never really understood the be part. I always translated that into do perfect. He has made us perfect. So that part of us does not need to be renewed, but it does need to be discovered, discovered in its reality. The second place that we call our heart is the place of deep belief. It's located in what we call our soul. It includes our mind, will, and emotions. In the New Testament, the word mind and heart carry similar definitions. According to the Strong's, it says this, the word heart in Greek is cardia. It translated heart, and it figuratively refers to thoughts and feelings and the mind. When we think mind, we usually think just thoughts. But in Jewish thought, the heart and the mind are pretty much the same thing. The word for mind in Greek is nous. It means the intellect. Again, the mind, the mind of God, the mind of us, it means mind. It includes thoughts, feelings, and will. Sounds pretty much the same. <laughs> The only difference really is when we think about where our heart is, we automatically put our hand on our chest because this is where we feel stuff. <laughs> this is where we feel stuff. 
And so it is that place of deep belief. When we believe something deeply, we feel it. What I want you to see is that our mind and our emotional heart, the place of deep-seated beliefs, are connected. Sometimes it's referred to as the heart, and sometimes it's referred to as our mind. One such reference is Hebrews 3.12, which says this, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. God gave me that scripture, I don't know how many years ago, and I was like, I rebuke you, Jesus! <laughs> that is not me. I don't have an evil heart of unbelief. I'm a believer. That's what I do. <laughs> he said, no, honey, you have an evil heart of unbelief. <laughs> the word evil in this scripture does not mean wicked. It means hurtful. When we have unbelief, it's usually because there's stuff stuck in our heart that hurts us. It's the Greek word parneros literally means hurtful. And I like that because if we just turn it around, full of hurt. What will stop your faith? Being full of hurt. And God says anything that hurts us is evil and wicked. He hates suffering. He hates for us to be in pain. He hates it. Because it's not what he designed for us to live in. Unbelief in the heart hurts us. Because we don't apprehend by faith. Faith works by love. We can easily believe if we believe my daddy loves me. There's nothing that he hasn't already given me. If we know how deeply he loves us, it is easy to trust and believe. When God said this to the Israelites, the context of that is the promised land. He was referring to the Israelites who God had said, Here's the promised land. Everything you've ever wanted, I give it to you. Go get it. And they said, no, big scary giants, big scary giants, no. <laughs> we don't do that, right? Do we have a promised land? Oh, yes. It's called the kingdom of God, and it lives inside of us. And God says, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. Go get it. <laughs> Go get it. It belongs to you. It's yours. All you have to do is what? Believe that it's already yours. But what happens? Big scary giants. Big scary giants. We get afraid. That's unbelief. What God had told the Israelites is basically, you believe on. That's what God had told me. Yes, honey, you do believe, but you have all this unbelieving that's going on. Your heart is full of hurt and doubt and unbelief and pain. And all of that junk stands between you and the kingdom. We have junk in our trunk. <laughs> the next reference I have for you is the word mind. Again, these are... Connected, mind and heart. You can't separate them and say, only my mind and only my heart. They work interconnected. In Romans 14, 5, it says this. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded. Where? In his mind. Now, you would think, if you were going to finish that sentence for me, wouldn't you think that would be heart? It actually means both. But it starts where? 
starts in our mind. We have to be fully persuaded that the truth is the truth before we can get it to move from our head down into our heart. Paul knew that he was writing to both Jews and Gentiles. Some Jews still kept the dietary laws and honored the Sabbath and the feast days, and some didn't. So Paul says to them, keep doing what you're doing until you're persuaded otherwise. In other words, don't go against your conscience just because another believer is walking in a freedom that you're not comfortable with. Don't do what they do, like eating bacon. <laughs> eating bacon for a Jewish believer would have been a really big deal. <laughs> for a Jewish believer, if you ate something unclean, you became unclean. So the Jewish mindset is, what I do, I am. If I eat unclean, I am unclean. What I do, I am. So he's telling them, if you feel that way, if you feel guilty when you eat bacon, don't eat bacon. <laughs> Why? Because eating bacon is a sin? It is for you. Isn't that amazing? That something can be a sin for you, but not for me? I can eat bacon all day long, but it makes you feel guilty? He says, why shouldn't we eat? Because it's not a faith. We're not convinced in our mind. We're not convinced in our heart that God's really okay with me eating bacon. <laughs> so I like this particular scripture because it really clearly illustrates that we can accept the truth as truth in our mind, but still have previously deep-seated beliefs that interfere with our being fully persuaded and having faith in our heart. And then I have one more scripture that contains both, the heart and the mind. Hebrews 8.10 For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them, engrave them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I like this one because it shows the progressive process of belief. First in the mind, and then inscribed or engraved upon their heart. First, we have to know what the truth is in our mind before we can then deeply believe that truth in our heart to the point where it becomes part of us. I don't have any tattoos or engravings. <laughs> but if I did, what is it? Part of me. When God inscribes or writes something on our heart, it becomes ours. It becomes part of who we are. Sometime in the last year or so, I met a new Grace friend. And while we were out having dinner together, my Grace friend asked me, do you drink alcohol? And I said, no, I don't. And then she looked at me askew with a big smile. And she said, oh, you're still holding on to some of those old church traditions. And then she changed the subject. <laughs> to me, it sounded like, oh, you poor baby. <laughs> you don't understand your freedom in Jesus. <laughs> well, I didn't get the opportunity to answer her that night and tell her what I actually thought. But what I actually thought was this. No, you don't understand. My decision not to drink never came from an organization or church doctrine. It came from a living relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the one that told me that, honey, you are an all or nothing kind of girl. And when it comes to alcohol, it's got to be nothing. (laughs) Alcohol is not for you. (laughs) You see, my friend had prematurely judged me and assumed I was like the early Jewish believers. I knew the truth of freedom in my head, but not in my heart. And the fact was that that particular issue was settled in my heart 40 years ago. Just because I now have a fuller understanding of God's grace doesn't mean Jesus has changed his mind about what he wants for me. (laughs) It was never my decision or my church's decision not to drink. It was my Savior's decision. And let me tell you, God knew what he was doing. I have seen what alcohol can do to a person and to a family. God knew what he was doing and what he was saving me from. I can guarantee you, it really was in my very best interest. If you drink alcohol, that's between you and Jesus. The true freedom of grace enables us to live in accordance with God's will for our life, even if others don't understand it. Faith or belief is a matter of the heart, a matter of deep-seated beliefs and emotions. You know why I believe this? I was married to an alcoholic. I've seen how it destroys. My Jesus knew before anything ever happened what he was saving me from. You see, I was very much like those early Jewish believers in one sense. If I drank alcohol today, I would be violating my conscience because I know what my Father has chosen for me, and he knows what's best for me. He loves me. So if we, like the Jewish believers in Rome, we want to change our beliefs about something, like enjoying eating bacon, (laughs) how do we do that? How do we change an unwanted belief. This flowchart helps us to see what exactly goes on inside of us, how our heart functions, our mind and our heart. The first line is thoughts. When you look at the first line, it says mind, brain, conscious thoughts. That's what we understand usually as our mind, our consciousness, what's going on in our brain. We have a free will and we use it all the time. We decide what thoughts we like, and what thoughts we don't. I can look at a thought and go, I like this, I'm going to keep this one. <laughs> I can have a bad thought and go, no, I don't like that one, I'm casting it out. When we accept things as true, then that thought becomes a belief. Also, all just in our mind, in the, in, up here in our brain. We call those conscious beliefs. I consciously believe that it might rain today. <laughs> and if I consciously believe that it might rain today, I might take an umbrella with me when I go out because I believe it's going to rain. Belief does affect making our decisions. These everyday beliefs, like how we function. We have to have framework for our life. So we operate out of belief all the time. If we accept the truth as being truth, it goes into our conscious beliefs. But beliefs are more than just thoughts. They provide framework from which we operate. The third line is a little bit deeper. These are called core beliefs. These are foundational beliefs in particular about ourself and our God. When we believe something deeply, we take it in, and usually you don't believe something the first time you hear it. Most people don't receive Jesus the first time they hear about Jesus. They have to be convinced. They have to hear and hear and hear until that belief becomes part of who they are. 
the emotions is the next line. When we have a core belief in our brain, God marries belief and emotion together. That's how he gets us to keep important memories. If I'm being chased by a lion, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have lots of emotion. Why? So that the next time I'm chased by a lion, <laughs> I know how to handle it. We learn from what we experience. And what we experience is more real to us than what we know. Emotional reactions are often the way believers discover their spouses, triggers, or buttons. Do you know your spouse's triggers and buttons? Do you know your children's triggers and buttons? <laughs> Do you know your parents' triggers? Every child knows their parents' buttons. <laughs> we all have these little buttons and triggers, and they come from this place of core beliefs. When someone runs into a core belief, they get an overreaction because these core beliefs have to do about how we see ourselves. My husband gave me permission to share one of his buttons. <laughs> Shortly after we were first married, Mark and I went to Walmart and we were walking around. And as we're walking and holding hands, he turns his head in the completely opposite direction and continues to talk to me. I'm over there. And I'm like, honey, honey, I can't hear you, honey. And he's got mad at me. What? <laughs> You're the one not following the rules. You're supposed to look at me when you talk to me. I'm not the naughty one here. <laughs> so I was dumbfounded. You're mad at me because I can't hear you? That's ridiculous. So then I got mad at him. <laughs> because he was mad at me for no good reason. <laughs> if he's mad at me for no good reason, that makes me feel bad. Okay? It's all his buttons trigger my buttons. My buttons trigger his buttons. <laughs> and this is how people end up fighting over nothing. Fighting over, I can't hear you? Really? <laughs> what happened to us that day? Well, I unintentionally ran into a subconscious core belief. Now, we talked about it later, and what he did is he spent time with the Lord going, this is a little bit crazy. <laughs> Why am I overreacting to this? The conclusion he came to, him and the Lord, was that somewhere in his past, as a kid, he must have felt unheard. Feeling unheard hurts. And so his brain came to his rescue. His natural thinking came to his rescue and said, be mad, protect yourself with anger. And oh, by the way, it's not your fault. She couldn't hear you, it's her fault. Because whenever we get hurt and we get mad, it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> this is the way our brain works. This is what our brain automatically does because our brain tries to protect us from feeling bad. We all have a certain amount of these triggers and buttons that we acquire through our experiences in childhood and early adolescence. As children, we are really good at believing. Children believe there is a real person called Santa Claus. Why? Because we told them there was. Children are really good at believing. God made all of us to be really good at believing. That's how we're created, to operate by, live by, faith by, believing. Unfortunately, not everything we learn as we grow up is based on the truth. 
We pick up stuff along the way that feels really true, but isn't. For example, if I had a bad mom or a bad dad or both who didn't love me and they never showed me affection and they were always calling me names, what would happen to me? What would happen is in my conscious mind, my conscious mind would tell me if my parents don't love me, it must be because there's something really wrong with me. Children always think that they are the sun, the moon, and the stars, and that everything revolves around them. So if mommy and daddy get divorced, it must be my fault. If mommy and daddy are bad, it must be my fault. If mommy and daddy don't love me, it must be something wrong with me. We get these ideas stuck in our heart. And we don't really know they're there because they're not necessarily something we're consciously thinking. But somebody comes along and does something and pokes one of our subconscious beliefs and up comes emotion and reaction. And then as an adult, if I was in that scenario, I could blame all kinds of bad behavior on my parents. <laughs> I am a mess because of them. <laughs> and that's what we see in our society. It's not my fault I'm a mess. They did this to me. I don't have to take responsibility for me or my life. Now, while it's true that parents do make mistakes, we are not victims of what has happened to us, unless we choose to be. If it were actually true that we could never be free from the pain originally caused by someone else's behavior towards us, then yes, we would be victims. But it's not true. God wants us to be able to live in the truth of our new creation, reality, and identity, free from the judgments we have made against ourselves as children. This is what neuroscientists have discovered. The real problem isn't what our parents did or didn't do. The problem is we have made judgments about ourselves in the midst of painful situations that logically explain to us why bad stuff happened. And it's those self-imposed judgments that we wrote on our heart that now cause us to have unexplained overreactions. People in science are getting a clue about how we function. Scientists have discovered that this is how our brain and heart function. And then what they found doing lots of experiments and, and that sort of thing is the most common things we believe about ourselves that we don't even know we believe it. Now, normally, you can feel one of those subconscious lies. That's what they are. They're lies, okay? In other words, if I say something, I have a, a reaction in me. Now, the truth is, I can read all of these, and I won't get a reaction. What I love about this is Jesus has an answer for all of it, <laughs> okay? Jesus is the answer for all of it, okay? But this is the stuff that people deal with every single day of their life, and they're tortured by these old beliefs that they don't even recognize are there. We find things like, I am irredeemably flawed. I am unlovable. I am bad. Boy, that's a good one for a Christian. We are always bad if we are not performing. <laughs> I am stupid. I am worthless. I am a loser. I don't deserve good things. I am a failure. I am weak. I am not enough. I don't matter. I am boring. I am crazy and unstable. I can't be fixed. I have no hope. I am evil. I am sinful. I am unwanted. I am invisible. I am a mistake. I am helpless. I am ugly. I am shameful. I am uninteresting. And I am all alone. I will die alone. I am unclean. I am rejected. And I am unacceptable. They find this stuff in everybody, in everybody. Given the right situation, you will feel one of these. <laughs> 
These kinds of beliefs are already in our heart. Other people don't actually cause them. <laughs> we don't even realize these things are in our heart until somebody hits our button or pulls our trigger. And then suddenly we are hurt and mad. And sometimes we bypass hurt and go straight to mad. <laughs> and we want everybody else to change their behavior so that we can feel better. Instead, taking the time to deal with how we feel. So how do we deal with how we feel? Well, first we have to discover what it is we actually feel. That's what the list is. When we look at that list, we can say, in this particular situation, I know I feel it there. What that means is it's stuck in your heart. <laughs> it's stuck in your deep-seated belief. You made a judgment against yourself when you were a kid. Now, like I said, I could read all of these, and they don't trigger me. They don't feel true at all. And that's because I am already convinced of the truth of who I am in my head. <laughs> I know that I know Jesus. I know what he's done for me. I know what he's done to me. But, given the right situation, I will feel one of these buttons, and I know exactly where that situation is. I know of a place in my life where if I go there, I feel stupid. <laughs> but it's only in certain situations. I don't feel stupid all the time, just in certain situations. So, what I do is, instead of dealing with how I feel, I avoid it. <laughs> Let's not deal with this, Jesus. Let's just go right around. <laughs> but the problem is, when I feel stupid, my brain comes to my rescue and says, be mad at somebody else. <laughs> because you feel stupid because they made you feel that way. That's not true. All of this happens in our head in a millisecond. We don't even have time to think about it. It just pops up like popcorn. <laughs> And this is true for all of us. We all have buttons and triggers that set off some kind of feelings and reactions. And usually, people really do believe it's somebody else's fault, that they're the one that needs to change. But if we would take responsibility for our heart and bring it to Jesus, he has an answer. You see, Mark didn't always feel unheard. In fact, the only time I ever got that reaction was when I had to say to him, while he's facing the opposite direction from me, I can't hear you. <laughs> What's really funny, though, I like this, is that we often pick up my daughter Sarah and bring her to church with us. And she usually sits in the back seat, of course. And so on the way here, she will say this to him at least a half a dozen times. I can't hear you. <laughs> You're talking to the windshield. I can't hear you. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't trigger him. It doesn't trigger him anymore. <laughs> this cracks me up. <laughs> God will be happy to give us ample opportunities to walk in the same grace and truth that we ourselves have received. He's not triggered. He's not mad that she can't hear. He takes responsibility. Oh, I need to turn my head to talk to you. <laughs> but what's really funny is she gets triggered. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, why aren't you hearing me? Is that funny or what? <laughs> so what these emotions do reveal to us is what kind of belief or judgment is hiding inside of us. Because it's frustrating when somebody else, you're talking to them and they really can't hear you. When you don't feel like they hear you or they're listening to you, people get mad and hurt. Why? Because it hurts to feel unheard. So, what the neuroscientists tell people 
is to put themselves in a contemplative or reflective state of being. In other words, to make themselves still and calm, and then reflect on a particular incident, and then objectively ascertain what they were feeling. Translate that into Christianese. Take it to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> okay? <laughs> calm yourself down. If you're upset, calm yourself down. We have the power and authority to calm ourselves down. And then to look at the situation objectively and ascertain why do I feel like that in that situation. In Mark's case, that's exactly what he did. The Lord helped him to see the connection between the words, I can't hear you, and how as a kid, feeling like he really wasn't being heard, and how those two things went together, that his brain had made that connection for him. Sometimes when we see how our brain has made the connection between an earlier life event and something that triggered us, just recognizing that is sometimes all it takes to break the power of that thing having power over you. We go, oh, that's just my brain that did that. <laughs> my brain made that connection. Sometimes when we see, oh, that's all it is, it breaks the strength of that belief. What's good, though, is that our brain learns new connections, new connections to the truth. After we identify the belief that is attached to our negative emotion, we subject that belief to the question of truth. Scientists call this the place of faith. It's where we stand back and judge the validity of what we believe in our heart. Is what I believe and feel about myself actually true? In my case, I could ask myself, is it true that I'm stupid? Now, if you look there, it says, who's the judge? You see, growing up, we were the judge. <laughs> and for most people, they are the judge. And that's where they get into trouble. <laughs> okay, so I have to have my heart, the place of deep belief says I have to have evidence to believe what I'm believing. My heart believes what I feel. This is funny, because my heart feels. So my heart believes what I'm feeling is the truth. It's kind of around the circle. My feelings believe my feelings because I already believe that. I believe that that is the truth. But we can stand back and look at it and say, who's the judge? Am I stupid? Is that how I tell myself, no, you're not, no, you're not? And do I have evidence to the contrary? The world says we can create who we want to become. Okay? We can speak to that feeling and tell it the opposite. Now, it sounds a lot like mind renewal for Christians. And that's because our heart functions the same way as the people in the world. God created our heart in such a way as that goes into our mind. We make a judgment whether something is true or not, and we receive it down into our heart, and it becomes part of us. So it sounds a lot like Christianese. But what scientists would tell me to do is look for evidence in your life that you're not stupid. <laughs> well, I could look at my college transcripts. I was a 4.0 student all the way through college. Do stupid people get 4.0 all the way through college? <laughs> no, obviously I'm not actually stupid, but that truth does not change how I feel in particular situations. I can know the truth all day long in my head and it not affect my heart, and that's my point. That's what we need to understand is that what I believe in my head will not necessarily instantaneously drop down into my heart. We need to know this when we're working on our heart. <laughs> because what is in our heart? What do we have? A hurtful heart? A heart full of hurt? Of unbelief? And we all have some. 
<laughs> because your heart believes what you feel. Your heart believes your experience. Your heart believes that you're sick when you say you're well. Why does your heart believe that? Because it feels it. Our heart believes what we physically feel. When I was trying to get healed from fibromyalgia, I was working on renewing my mind, renewing my mind, renewing my mind, so that I could experience healing. But my body every second of the day was saying, no, you're sick, no, you're sick, no, you're sick. So how do we overcome this despair? How do we get beyond? It has to start here. But we have to understand this doesn't necessarily automatically fall down into our heart because of unbelief. <laughs> That's where we get frustrated. When we start telling God, God, I can't believe any harder than I already believe. Why aren't I healed? Why aren't you doing something? <laughs> it's the same thing we do with the other people. It's your fault. <laughs> you made me mad. <laughs> it's your fault. You're not doing your job. It's not true. It's not true. So what the scientists tell people to do is that if you're, you think you're a bad person, if you feel like you're a bad person, you look for the evidence that you're actually a good person. And then you tell yourself that over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Does it sound like a Christian? Yes, it does. <laughs> and they tell themselves these things to the point that they create a new identity, a new belief. We can create new belief. New belief that actually feels true. That's the key. Your heart believes what you feel. And by doing so, they create a new identity. They tell themselves the truth and to the point that it feels true to them. They make themselves their own judge of what is true about themselves. And then speaking to themselves over and over and over again, they become what they think, they believe they become what they are saying. They believe that they are their own judge and their own creator. That's a lot of work. <laughs> How about we just accept God as the judge and his new creation in us? In my case, I could be the judge. I could say, I am smart. Look, I am smart. 4.0, I am smart. And keep telling myself over and over and over and over. And that's usually what we do. We find the truth and God's word and we tell it to ourselves over and over and over and over. And does that work? Yes. Science bears it out. Science bears it out that this is what the average mind renewal looks like. You've heard every preacher you've ever heard probably said, you have to renew your mind. This is the way you do it. You go over and you go over and you go over. Repetition is the key. Why do we keep hearing, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God. In because we have to convince not our head, our heart. Because when I fall short, you know what I feel? <laughs> I feel guilty. I feel bad. What does that tell me? My heart is not completely established in the truth that I know is already true. Our heart, the place of deep belief, looks for evidence. And evidence to our heart is experience or feeling. But if I put myself in a situation that normally provokes feelings of stupidity and I approach it differently, I will get a different result. My brain and heart will accept the new result as proof that I'm not actually stupid. <laughs> In fact, this is how a lot of childhood beliefs get changed. We simply experience a different outcome in a normal, in a situation that's familiar to us. In other words, we learn by doing. Our body, our mind, our heart, it learns by doing. So the alternative is to let God be my judge instead of myself. 
and I could let God determine the truth of who I am. I could set my heart and my mind on what God says is true about me until it feels true. And that's the key to core beliefs, the feeling of truth. Because what we deeply believe will have emotion attached to it. In reality, what these scientists have done is they have figured out how the human heart functions. And then they have used that information to help people simply change their beliefs. But that is all they have done, is change their beliefs. There's no reality behind what they're doing. You can say, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person all day long. It will not make you a good person. They are trying to become something. Jesus says, no, I have already made you good in Christ Jesus. You have got to believe it's already finished. He's already made me what he wants me to be. He's already made me holy. He's already made me righteous. He's already made me loved and acceptable. He's already done that. You see, when I know that that's the truth, that I'm not becoming acceptable to God, I'm not working on becoming righteous. You see, that's all self-effort, and that's all the world has. But what do we have? We have the reality of Jesus Christ risen from the dead living on the inside of us. How can we possibly be overcome by a little feeling called stupidity? <sighs> what do I have to do? I can do it the way the scientists say. Tell myself over and over, I am smart, I am smart, I am smart. Or I can go to the truth of who God says I already am, that Jesus has been made wisdom unto me, and there's no way that I can be stupid. <laughs> so, but what do I have to do? I have to embrace that fact. I have to say, this isn't me becoming unstupid. <laughs> this is the reality of who God has already made me. And I can embrace that because it's actually the truth. Praise God. <laughs> Science has realized they have caught up with the reality of the scripture. Science says the most powerful thing a human being has is the power to believe. Think about it. We were created to believe. We were created to live by believing. That's why we do it all of the time. Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. <laughs> but what they have found is that your faith affects everything you do. It touches everything you do. They did an experiment with scientists who worked for a pharmaceutical company. And they, of course, the pharmaceutical company, they want to prove that their drugs are efficacious. That way they can sell lots of them, right? <laughs> what they found out is they can't do the in-house testing themselves because the scientists who are doing the tests believe it works and it affects the outcome. So they have to take the tests and send them to somebody who doesn't know anything about it and then say, test it. Because their faith is messing up their tests. Your faith affects everything we do. And we don't realize how powerful we are because we are believers. The same is true with double-blind studies. Scientists, the latest and greatest science says, if you give everybody who has the same condition, one half gets the real drug, one half gets a sugar pill, a placebo and they don't know who gets what. But they tell them, they sell it, this stuff is gonna cure you. This stuff will change your life overnight. Guess what? 30 to 75% of the people who got the sugar pill get the same results as people who took the medication. That's the power of belief. 
Now they're believing in a sugar pill. We can believe in the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We can believe that he's already finished everything that concerns me. We can believe and receive all that God wants us to have. Now when I started looking into all of this, how does my heart function, how does belief function, I thought, you know if unbelievers, <laughs> if unbelievers can believe and get good results, how much more us? When we have the very ability to believe like Jesus believed, we have the faith of the Son of God. What is it we cannot overcome? Nothing. What scientists are doing is they're getting people to change the way they feel. But there's no reality behind what they're doing. What if we could change the way we feel and experience the truth that's already there? We don't have to create a new identity. We just need to embrace the one God has given us. <laughs> if we embrace who we are, those nagging little buttons will start to go away. We can let God be the judge of who and what we really are. We can let the truth of God's word answer all those negative and hurtful beliefs that are hidden in our heart. And we can do it using the same process the scientists are using, that they have proven scientifically that it is powerful and effective. You know what that process is called? Meditation. That's why I didn't start with it. You see how excited everybody got right there? <laughs> oh, meditation. <laughs> so what is meditation? According to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, to meditate is to look at something close, closely or continually. It's continued thought. It's turning or revolving a subject in your mind. It is serious contemplation. Contemplation is the act of the mind in considering with attention. Meditation, study, continued attention of the mind on a particular subject. What scientists have found out is if we will purposely pay attention to the word and be present, Whatever truth you need, whatever truth you need, is your body not listening to you? You tell it it's healed and it's arguing with you? <laughs> okay, what's wrong? We have all the healing power of God on the inside. Our heart believes what we physically feel. So giving our attention to a particular truth such as healing or I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus continuously. What scientists found out is if, if a person will meditate on one subject, one truth, for 20 minutes, in 68 weeks, they'll have a completely different outcome in that person's life. Scientists are getting unbelievers healed. <laughs> because what they do is they teach them to set their mind on what they believe is the truth. Well, God has poured out all his spirit on all flesh. So praise God, God's getting people healed anyway. <laughs> truth is, why aren't we healed? That was my question the whole time I had fibromyalgia. What am I doing wrong, Jesus? <laughs> See, I knew there was a block. I could believe in my head as hard as I could believe. I, the scriptures over and over and over and over and over, fasting, praying, fasting, praying, God, why isn't this working? Because <laughs> my heart didn't believe I already had it. My heart didn't believe I already had it. It said, no, we can feel you are not well. <laughs> My heart didn't believe that Jesus had really done the work. I was trying to get something. And you know what that is? Self-effort. It's so easy for us to, when we're renewing our mind, thinking we're earning a healing, we're earning a provision, we're earning, we're building up our faith. I have to believe that the work is all 
pretty finished, that the kingdom of God and the promised land is right inside of me. And as I renew my mind to the point that I feel it, it will come forth. That is exactly what happened to me. I'm having this conversation with God. God, why aren't you doing this for me? God said, keep believing. (sighs) When Jesus wins. (laughs) He said, you have unbelief. So I recorded every healing journey on Andrew Womack television program. And every day when I got home from work, I'd watch healing program. I'd watch healing testimonies. God, if you did it for them, you'll do it for me. God, you're no respecter of persons. I was still thinking it was in the future. God, if you did it for them, you will do it for me. Your brain does not recognize future tense. When your brain hears, God will heal me, your brain goes, put that in with the fiction, because that's not real. Your brain does not recognize future tense. It only recognizes now. Now, faith is. Now, I'm healed. Now, I have the answer to my prayer. Now is the greater reality, and it is true. Now, how do I get my heart to believe that? I have a really easy way that you can meditate. You all did it this morning. They have proven that worship is a form of meditation. What do we do? Put the lights down. Why? Because we don't want to be self-conscious. We set aside our worries and our cares. We calm ourselves down. And then what do we do? We start repeating the same lyrics over and over because they're true. And we do things like this. Yes, my Jesus is good. Yes, I am the righteousness. We start participating with our body because why? We believe it. How do you get your heart to believe what you already know is true? You participate. You meditate on the truth and you get your body involved because your body will believe what you feel. We are not victims of our bodies or our emotions. Our Father has made us priests and kings. He has given us all of his power and authority. There is nothing we cannot worship out of our life. (laughs) There is nothing the meditation on the truth of who we already are will not be able to bring forth. That's the truth. So the next time somebody pokes you with something and your button goes off, that's usually not a good time to try to fix it. (laughs) Usually you just try to keep your mouth shut until you can take it to Jesus. And then you take that little sheet. What is it that this makes me feel? Because I don't feel this way all the time. Is it that I don't feel heard? Is it that I don't feel important? What is it that I'm feeling? And then you go to the Word of God and you tell your heart the truth. And you tell it again. And you tell it again. And you bring it into worship. 20 minutes a day. Scientists have proven 20 minutes a day of precise worship, precise meditation will change your life. 68 weeks, you could have a, a whole new body. Think about that. God was first talking to me about this, like, 68 weeks, Jesus, really? That's a long time. He says, compared to what? How many years do people walk around with sickness and disease trying their best to figure out how to make faith work? It may take 68 weeks for you to get your miracle. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. There's only one catch. You got to do it every day. You got to set your mind and your heart on the truth every day. 
until you feel it. Until you know that you know that you know. And then watch out, baby. <laughs> You're going to experience what you know you already have. We want the truth to touch our heart. We want that. We want the truth to touch our heart over and over and over until our heart, our emotions, are fully persuaded of the finished work of the cross, fully persuaded of the I am's of the new covenant, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and nothing can change what my Father has made me. I am the healed by the stripes of Jesus because his body was broken for my healing. I am blessed going in and coming out, not because I have kept the law, but because Jesus kept it for me. I am justified by the blood of Jesus and declared perfectly innocent in the eyes of my Father. I am a son of God and a co-heir and a co-ruler with Christ Jesus. I am completely complete in my spirit. I am wise unto salvation. I am heard by the creator of the universe who answers me before I even speak. I am his dearly loved child. I am of infinite value to my Father. There is a truth for every lie and judgment that our hearts have believed. And as we embrace the reality of what the grace of God has already made us, those buttons and triggers will start to disappear. We are not trying to become. We are not working to earn. But we do labor to see and believe with all of our heart in the fullness of God's grace and all that it has accomplished. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. We are what we are by the grace of God. And God will give us the grace to do things like be faithful in worshiping 20 to 60 minutes a day. Spending time with God. And that sounds like a lot when you're a busy person. The only thing we're trying to do is convince our heart. God's already been convinced. He's already done the work. The only thing between us and the promised land are some lies. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you, Father God, even for the truth of science, who finally gets around to believing what you've already told us, how our heart functions, that what we need to do is meditate on the truth of who you are and who you have made us. Father, I ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Open the eyes of our understanding. So that we believe and receive the truth into our heart and into our lives, into our bodies, into our finances, that we receive the truth of what you have already done. Father God, I ask that you would poke us, <laughs> remind us to spend time with you, to spend time meditating, either through study or through worship, but help us to spend time doing this on purpose for those areas of our life where we find things poke us so that you can remove all the sting. And Father God, we thank you that that is what you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.